Welcome back to the Rural Roundup. This show is produced in association with the Scottish Government. On today's episode, Tiffany McTaggart and George Chabers bring you the headlines and deadlines to note for the fortnight. George and Robert discuss silage, whack it, bail it and stack it. And I'm joined by Abby Morden, co-director at Propagate, who tells us about what's on her desk, in her polytunnels, greenhouses and more. Let's first join Tiffany and George for the headlines and deadlines. Hi George, how are you doing? I'm fine Tiffany, how's yourself? Yeah, good thank you. I'm really pleased that the IXP is over, got all the forms submitted, so I know it's a weight off our chest and I know the farmers will be delighted that all their forms have been done as well. And it's now looking forward towards the EECS deadline, so that's the Agri-Environmental Climate Scheme and the deadline's on the 7th of June, so working towards that just now. Yeah, that'll come round quickly. Um, it's an important scheme. Up in the northeast, we've as a lot of producers have, have have gone into environmental schemes over the years and probably looking to continue. Um, what's it like down the borders? Yeah, there's a lot of people um, looking to go in again this year. I think some people are unsure if they should be doing it or not because they don't know what's going to happen come 2025 and 2026. But I think a lot of people are thinking to go ahead for it because it means they can continue carrying out some of the things that they've been doing previously or start something new and it really benefits the biodiversity. Yeah, there is there is this it's a, it's a balancing act. They can go for a scheme, get in and they've got the five year contract, the five year income essentially, or are they better waiting for what's next basically? I would be hopeful that people are rewarded if they have been in rather than um being penalized because they have continued to stay in these schemes. Yeah. And farmers have probably been noticing that the Scottish Upland Sheep Support Scheme payments are now beginning to hit bank accounts. Um, I know this is usually welcome at this time of year. Yes, yeah, certainly for farmers in the in the west and the northwest, um, where most of this will apply to, uh, it'll be very welcome this money at this time of the year, I'm sure. Um, so it's, it's, it's good to see the money's going out. Definitely. I've also noticed this change to the tuberculosis legislation. So if you're bringing cattle into Scotland from across border, it's really important to make sure that you know what the legislation is, what your requirements are. So from the 18th of May, these changes have taken place. So you need to have a test within the past 30 days. Previously, it was the past 60 days. So just make sure if you are moving cattle across border and you check that you're complying with all the legislation. Yeah, I suppose for, for most producers in Scotland, it, it's not really making a change. But for those who do take in cattle, it's a tightening up effectively. And that can only really be a good thing. Oh, it definitely has to be a good thing. Yeah. That's great. Thanks, George. Let's join George and Robert as they discuss silage. So, Robert, how are things down in Ayrshire? Yep, all good here, George. All well yep. up the road. Yep. Um, what are people busy at? Uh, yep, so there are a lot of spring work done. Um, crops looking good and actually heading into silage season now. So a lot of the dairy guys are getting right into it. 
uh, and cutting some pretty good crops actually so it's quite interesting we've had a strange spring that's not had a lot of heat but we do seem to have plenty of grass in a lot of these dairy places and, and people are pretty happy that pits are filling up nicely and glad to be getting on with a really important job in pretty good weather yeah we're a wee bit off silage time up here um we don't have a lot of dairy farms will stop but uh even some of the beef guys who will go two cuts um normally they would probably go early june we struggle to do that this year um but uh it'll be around again um so what's your thoughts about you know making making the best silage possible what's the benefits of making good silage yeah so it's the thing we look at costs we're looking at controlling costs and and trying to make money out of whatever system you're on and and what's quite clear to me is the the only thing we're in control of the only thing that's not a global commodity is quality silage so it's getting as much energy and protein out of your home produced feed to start with and then balancing it with whatever we need to buy in and historically cereals been cheap proteins have been cheap and we've got bulk and then we've top the bulk up with energy and protein whereas i think where we are now although cereals are easing and proteins are easing we're still looking at high concentrate costs and for me where possible we should be trying to make well it doesn't actually where possible everywhere we should be trying to make the highest quality silage we can and then rather than topping up with quality we should be talking up topping up with bulk so let's make good silage and then top up with straw or top up with hay or something rather than make poor quality silage get loads of bulk and then top up with soya and barley and and other stuff there's always going to be a need for concentrate feed in most systems but those units of energy and protein that we can produce from silage are the cheapest eh, of any any feed that we've got yeah yeah um i think it it can very easily it's very easy to fall in a trap you've got a silage pit you've got to fill it um, or you know there's a set number of bales, and and maybe sometimes you that can you, you end up sacrificing quality that way. Um, you're completely blinkered on getting this bulk, but you can offset that if you you know if you've got the good quality um, to start with. And the thing for most people is you know one man's or one person's good silage is an, another person's poor silage, but anyone we can make an improvement in it by cutting a week earlier than normal, yeah. and. I suppose the challenge, you know, a cold spring, you do look at bulk and think we're not quite there yet, but actually heading date is the same or is very similar across years. You know, it doesn't vary much. It's more about day length than it is about temperature. And usually what we find with a cold spring is we expect silage cutting to be later and then we're out about the same time. Mm-hmm. And the yield, yield penalty is there, but not not colossal and what you tend to get is if you lose it in the first cut you gain it in the second cut or if you get a huge big first cut of high quality stuff you get a poorer second cut so i really do like a two cut system for a a beef and sheep system um often where the sheep involved the first cut's already gone in the sheep you know the there's a lot of sheep ground in Ayrshire at the moment that's not yet shut up for silage um that's okay but it's just a matter of cutting at an appropriate time thereafter to get quality in the pit and if we we think about would we rather buy a ton of straw or buy a ton of barley it depends where you are in the country to answer that question but the quality silage story 
I don't think it goes away. It's not. It's not new. It's nothing new. We've no, done it. No, We've no, done no. it for years. But there's just a bit of more of an acute focus on it with mm-hmm. high yeah. costs and and also we talk about high costs, but we've also got very high outputs as well at the moment. So if we can get stock performing better with less purchase feed, there's a chance of a real a real good margin this year. I think I'm I, I'm looking at the economics of beef and sheep production and dairy production and thinking this is actually a year that we could actually make some money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had a guy last year who never, never did silage analysis, always thought he made decent silage, decided for a change, do his analysis. It wasn't as good as he thought. It was nowhere near as good as he thought it was. Ended up doing a ration. He needed more protein, ended up buying, I think it was a ton of soya in the end he needed. It wasn't a lot, but he ended up with, I think it was a, trailer load and a half a barley spare at the end of the end of the winter so we ended up you know saving money basically by by doing this analysis so um yeah taking your silage analysis you can even learn things about how you make your silage from that you know if you're if your sugars are low your proteins low you know consistently then you can use that to to shape how you do things surely definitely and and one I think on the silage analysis bit as well is we're we're all really keen, particularly in a bailed system, to make the stuff as dry as possible. And actually yeah. by to do that we ted the living daylights out of grass and create a really nice something that we look at and smell it and think that's beautiful stuff. But actually we've tedded a lot of the energy out of it. Yeah. Um so there's a point as well where we look at so obviously the really low dry matter silage is really wet stuff that you know, we don't want to touch cattle tend to eat it really pretty well because they're basically drinking it rather than eating mm-hmm. it um but that's not high performance stuff but there is a middle ground where the, the sweet spots in the middle that really dry there's, and there's a role for dry stuff for for dry cows you know hay and haylage into dry cows is a great system but for productive stock we were trying to you know into breeding use pre-calving cows and store and finishing cattle actually that kind of stuff in the mid 30s is probably the sweet spot for for quality silage where we get as much of the, the energy and protein as we can and also a nice dry product to work with um, I, I think that can sometimes be you cut it you leave it and you maybe leave it for a day and a half you maybe leave it two days and it dries out and you've got this i was just thinking in the back of your mind that actually the water's disappearing um so there's less water to lug about the countryside um you've less bales so there's less cost involved but actually it's a wee bit of a false economy yeah and and some of the best silages we see made actually come from there's a lot more rotational grazing on the go or, or not necessarily paddock grazing but an, an attempt at a, a basic rotation which is great and when grass starts to get away from you don't top it cut it and bale it and actually that that product Nobody really worries too much about that. Those toppings, you're getting two or three bales to the acre. You whack it, you bale it, you stack it, and then you, you analyse it and look at it and think that's actually really good stuff. That's yeah. stuff that's worth having. So, you know, there's likes of that. There's there's lessons to be learned in there too. And, and there's no, no fear from getting a light cut off a paddock or a field that, you're, that, that has got away from you. And there's quality stuff in there. So, um, yeah, whole systems are changing and, and that quality story hasn't changed at all. The better quality we can make, 
the in, the better inroads we'll make into financial and also carbon efficiency as well, which is becoming increasingly important. Well, that's right. You improve your performance, you get them away a bit quicker, then yeah, that, that's that's good all around. And and also just to highlight as well what you said about soya. So the role of a balancer is so important. So let's say we we're always saying make quality silage somebody is going to make really poor stuff through no fault of their own the weather's going to be against them or whatever can't get a contractor the middle ground where we are balancing a poor a poor crop is far better than not balancing it at all not giving cows the the, the protein they're needing or the energy they're needing and then having a disastrous calving so it is really all about communication with in the first instance you your contractor your team whoever's doing the job but thereafter as soon as you can nutritionist or vet or whoever else is in the team to make sure that we we roll into realistically we're just most people have just finished or are finishing spring calving but we're really looking at next year's spring calving very soon the the decisions we make in the next few weeks really do impact on that so yeah. communication across the board is really the, the most important Definitely. thing Definitely. i'm joined by abby morden co-director at Propagate to tell us what's on her desk in her polytunnels, greenhouses and more. Hello, I'm uh, Abby Morden and I'm based in Dumfries and Galloway. I'm a market gardener, uh, so I'm a grower, a food educator and an organiser of sustainable local and community food stuff. So I have many, many, many projects on my desk. I'm the kind of person that has lots of plates spinning, mul- multiple plates spinning all at the same time, hoping that none of them fall on the floor and break, <laughs> which is, yeah, they haven't really so much so far, so that's good. Um, but particularly on my desk at the moment is, uh, well, not on my desk, but out in the garden, um, it is spring. It is middle of May and we are full on in sowing and planting and weeding and uh, everything else kind of kind of mode. So everything that's been seedlings in the polytunnel and in the greenhouses have just basically exploded in the last couple of weeks with this warm weather. Um, so we're, you know, quickly getting stuff planted out. But the wind was a bit chilly and has been a bit chilly. So everything's also got to be covered in fleece tunnels just to protect them a little bit. So that doubles the work. Um, sunny but cold kind of thing, which is annoying. Um, and then some some direct sowings outside as well. But we start most stuff off uh, indoors in the in the polytunnel and the greenhouse um, to give it that extra, extra boost um, because this is Scotland. And... Uh, other projects are that I'm an organiser or the, the main organiser for the um, Southwest Scotland Regenerative Farming Network. And the Regen Farm Network is uh, kind of peer to peer, farmer to farmer, learning uh, and sharing kind of network. We invite any farmers and growers um, from, from Southwest Scotland, which extends into Ayrshire, to uh, sign up. Um, they fill in a, a form which asks them to tell us a little bit about their their farming practice and what they're interested in like reducing biological inputs and pasture-fed livestock and learning more about soil health and that kind of thing um and then if they have any of those those skills or or kind of interests that they can share with us um and at the very core of it each each subscriber then gets uh what i call the regen roundup 
um, from myself, which I send out every Tuesday night. Um, so that's just an email with a kind of a, a whole bunch of links to podcasts like this one, uh, to uh, videos, to webinars, in-person events, reading articles, books, etc., which can help people expand their knowledge and nudge people along that transition uh, to regenerative, sustainable farming. And then uh, a kind of offshoot from that, that which we invite anyone to come and join, is a kind of more of a in, in, intense group, not the intense not the right word intimate maybe um where 20, 20 farmers on this group at the moment it's a soil health group um and we have committed to, to share a learning journey together so we have a whatsapp group we have a thursday night zoom check-in and we we use a platform called soil mentor um so we kind of take soil samples over a kind of two-year three-year basis uh, a few times a year from the same spot on our farms or our market gardens um every time and the samples aren't the kind of samples that you send away to a lab and get a whole bunch of numbers back. They're the kind of they're like earthworm counts and looking at rhizosheaths, which is how much organic matter is sticking to the root system and infiltration rates and that kind of thing. And the idea is that we can use that to benchmark as a initially as a baseline, but then to benchmark um, any kind of soil health improvements that might be happening through changes in practice. At the moment, writing up um, the feedback from the last farm walk that we had with that group and it's mostly members of that group that come on the farm walk although actually anybody can come and getting ready for the next farm walk which is on the 2nd of June uh, so I've got to, to write the blurb for that and set up the event right and, and like, so that's the other thing that we do is we get out on farm and actually look at what each other is doing and give each other advice and support uh, in that kind of way so there's those two things and um, through my role with the Dumfries and Galloway Sustainable Food Partnership, I'm coordinator for the Sustainable Food Partnership and that is um, a cross-sector multi-stakeholder approach to co-creating better, healthier, fairer and um, more equitable food systems. Uh, you can tell I said that a few times. So lots of stakeholders involved, uh, the, the local authority, the NHS, um, the uh, sort of Biosphere, South of Scotland Enterprise, Third Sector, Dumfries and Galloway, and uh, D&G Community Food Network, quite quite a few members. Um, and we are working together, we're just about to finalise our action plan for the next three years. Uh, so that's kind of looking at lots of actions like um, how we can sort of change procurements to increase more local and sustainable produce um, and how we can get more veg production happening across Dumfries and Galloway. And then we're also looking at kind of working towards our regional Good Food Good Food Nation plan um, that's coming through Scottish Government's Good Food Nation Act um, that all, all local authorities are going to have to prepare anyway. So we're hoping to do that in more of a co-created, um, people, uh, people farmer-led um, and business-led kind of way. And then another project <laughs> that, that I'm kind of, I'm more of a just just a producer on this one, but um, it's the, Glen, the Glenkens Food Hub, which is a kind of micro supply chain. Um, and I set up the Glenkens Food Hub as a, as a producer, along with a few other producers in the Glenkens, which is uh, an area of Dumfries and Galloway. Um, and originally we conceived it to be a kind of producer led uh, supply chain as a way of getting our produce um, to the local community and it's kind of grown arms and legs since then and now producers are um from as far as kind of thornhill uh and old girth um 
over that way <laughs> down to uh, down to sort of Barmbarich Organic, who are quite a big organic farm uh, in the Machias and um, Gatehouse of Feet and so it's sort of um, Och and Cairns. So we're across Dunfries and Galloway, Galloway really. So I think there's 12 producers involved in the hub now. Uh, we we just found out yesterday. We've just got just got a year's funding. Um, to, to carry on su- sort of supporting the project, not a huge amount, twenty three thousand pounds, which is, sounds like a lot, but actually that's mainly supporting the coordinator and the administrator to make sure that that we all kind of you know actually manage to get our produce listed on the it's it's, it's an online platform. So so yeah, lots of stuff going on like that. <laughs> I've lived in Scotland more more for, for more of my life than uh, anywhere else in the country. So I, I came up here in. Uh, 1998, I think that's right. That's when my eldest child was born. So what was that 20, 25 years ago? Um, <laughs> well, my eldest child is 24. So yeah, I think that's, I, was, I was just about pregnant when I got here. Um, and I lived up in the Highlands, first of all, and Aberdeenshire for a bit, and then spent a good chunk of time in South Lanarkshire, just outside Glasgow, where I kind of worked in a, share, a shared cooperative farm, running a big market garden and selling lots of produce into the city. Um, and then I did a lot of community food work in the city around food inequalities and access to, to good food uh, and food poverty, kind of anti-food poverty kind of work. But actually, originally, I hail from South Wales, but I haven't lived there since the since early 90s, really. Yeah, I grew up in a small town just outside Cardiff on the, the, the sort of coastal side, a town called Penarth. Um, which uh, used to be a small town, and that was quite a large town. It's kind of you know grown with housing estates, and some of those housing estates were like the the, the farms that I used to cycle out to as a as a kid. Um, so we grew up in town, but I, my my dad was a, a sort of dedicated grower, so I, I I grew up learning to grow vegetables with my dad, and he's still got an allotment. He's in his in his late seventies, and he still he still grows. I'm just um, trying to convince him of the uh, benefits of no dig. Um, and stop disrupting the soil and killing microorganisms. So yeah, I guess my interest was sparked with him around kind of you know having my hands in the soil and and dirt under my fingernails. Um, but also his work, quite interestingly, was around um, supply chains, um, specifically food related supply chains. He worked in the NHS uh, procurement, um, food procurement for the NHS, and then he went on to do kind of um, one of the people kind of leading on just in time delivery systems responding to the uh, the problems of the 80s, like EU butter mountains um, and stuff like that, which, I mean, I, it was a definitely a solution that was needed at the time, but it, I, I'm just trying to kind of obviously relo- relocalise our food systems now. So he, he often kind of says that I'm trying to put, put right the mistakes that they made but they were they were they were responding to an issue of of the moment and you know we still need we still need global supply chains don't we so yeah we, we need both localized and global so so yeah and then i left um south wales and went out to live in west wales where i worked on a cooperative farm um in a this was like the mid 90s and it was a organic veg box scheme and I, it's only like looking back on that that I kind of realised that that was actually quite unique in the in the mid nineties to to kind of have a big market garden that was doing organic veg boxes for the local community and we kind of take that for granted a bit now maybe not so much uh, in this area but in some areas it's, it's quite it's quite normal to be able to access that but that was quite unusual and I remember going on one of the trips we grew a lot but we went up to uh, Lampeter where there was a big organic um, veg distribution centre it might still be there for all I know. And I remember sitting there in a van waiting for lettuces to arrive from Israel. 
And this is kind of where the, this global just-in-time supply chain is just like, what? <laughs> we grow lettuces. Why are we sitting here waiting for lettuces to arrive from Israel? So that's, yeah, I think that was back in the 90s, as I say, and I was starting to realise that, you know, there was some things that were a bit broken about our food system that needed to change. And I, yeah, I think I've pretty much dedicated my life to trying to fix that ever since. (laughs) So if there was one action to take after listening to this, I would encourage people to get a spade and go for a walk and dig a hole. Uh, dig several holes, dig holes in various places across your land and see what lies beneath the soil. And I found over the, over the years that, you know, not enough farmers and land managers and growers do this, really, because what's happening beneath ground is is so much, it influences and impacts so much on what's happening above ground. Um, and we're only just getting to know, scratching the surface, really, on all of, of, of all the microorganisms that live in the soil and their complex interactions and how they help to create healthy, vibrant living soils that create healthy plants that make healthy humans and healthy animals. So, yeah, get a spade, dig a hole, go and find some dung beetles. They're really cool. <laughs> Um, that's that's probably the take-home action. And check out a vi- um, the videos on Soil Mentor. Uh, so, as I said, Soil Mentor is the platform that we use for the Soil Health Group. Um, but uh, they've also got some really good, easily accessible um, videos that you can you can watch. Uh, so you can see them doing these different different soil tests and and understand why they're important as well. So the other actions that um, people can take after listening to this podcast uh, would be to follow DG Good Food um, and also Propagate on both Facebook and Twitter. And Propagate is also on, on Instagram. Um, so you can keep up with all the different things that, that we're doing, um, both in Dumfries and Galloway and across Scotland. Propagate does lots of food education kind of work. On Facebook, we've also got the Regenerative Farming Network Southwest Scotland Facebook group. Uh, so anybody um, based around around here is very welcome to join that. And of course, please do if you're in Southwest Scotland, sign up to the the Regen Farm Network, and uh, you can start receiving those those emails from me uh, every Tuesday evening. Which, to be honest, everyone says are oh, great. I don't know. Everyone sort of they meet when I when they talk to me in person about it. They're just like these are brilliant emails. They're so positive and full of really exciting things that are happening. So apparently, that's quite good get involved. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of the Rural Roundup. Subscribe to this channel to make sure you get notified of new episodes and we'll see you back here on the 7th of June for our next episode. The Rural Roundup is hosted and produced by me, Kerry Hammond, and edited by Kieran Sim on behalf of the Scottish Government. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.